Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a paper that is titled Equine Discomfort Ethogram. And this is by Catherine Tercevia and Sue McDonald. This paper was published in 2021, so just last year and is the first of its kind, as far as the authors can tell, in developing a discomfort ethogram for horses. So in recent years, there's been a growing interest in the need for a comprehensive um, ethogram, or basically an ethogram is a study of behaviors. So a comprehensive study of discomfort behavior in horses, and particularly to be able to use this to recognize physical discomfort in our domestically managed horses. So how they did this was um, over the course of 35 years, the senior author on the paper was a veterinary practitioner in, oh, let me think, University of Pennsylvania, I believe it was. Yeah. And they gathered... um, video recordings over 35 years of monitoring horses in the hospital setting or else in their breeding setting and they reviewed the videos and all of these videos were 24 to 48 hours of continuous recording which is important to picking up these behaviors um and well i i just think this is one of the best papers i mean it got me so excited because it's so in-depth but so easy as a tool to use because they break down all the behaviors into different categories and then they have videos that go alongside them. So you can actually watch examples of the behavior as well. Yeah, I found that to be so useful. Um, They are 64 specific discomfort behaviors, but then when they add the little variations in, it comes to a total of 73. And some of them I knew about, you know, about pawing and the difference between pawing when food's coming versus pawing when they're in discomfort. So some of them, you know, you kind of readily can recognize. But there were some that surprised me that some of the patients at the uh, New Bolton Center, which University of Pennsylvania Vet School has the New Bolton Vet Center, which is like premier in what it does. So the fact that um, they took video of these patients and it even orthopedic surgical patients, they had 48 hours of continuous video pre-surgery and then post-surgery. And one of the neat findings is that um, horses stop those discomfort behaviors or lessen them 
as their caretaker watches them or approaches. So that's when they determine they would have to back off and go to video recordings. And I thought that was interesting because a lot of times if I see a horse doing something that's a little different than what's normal, I'll kind of back off and keep doing my normal routine, but keep looking at them out of the corner of my eye. But they found that it was the presence of the caretaker that kind of diminished that. So I thought that was really useful information, especially in this day and age where you can get cameras set up so easily. I think, um, Part of that that really sparked an interest for me was that 30% of those horses, so 75% um, hid those discomfort behaviours, potentially hid while the caretakers were present, but 30% stopped performing the discomfort behaviour altogether during the visit. And I actually had read a small animal um, research paper that discussed the need to do more research into the effect owner visitation has on improving pain in dogs. And it's something that needs to be looked into more. But when I read this, I thought, I wonder if the presence of the caretaker is actually helping to soothe the horse. And that's why these discomfort behaviors are reducing or becoming absent. And because they're actually getting that from that bonds they have. That's a good point, Kate, because maybe the owners kind of bring on somewhat of an endorphin release that soothes them and lessens the pain. But that's a good uh, way to look at it. I hadn't thought of that, you know. Yeah, I think there is just so interesting because even the point of And I thought, this is so true. So all these horses were in stalls. They weren't out at pasture. So they were saying as well, you need to do a continuous video to monitor these behaviors because horses will kind of go through resting and foraging cycles, but they tend to return to the same area for their standing rest. So if the caretaker just happens to repeatedly visit during a rest period, they might think that there's something wrong with that horse. That horse has a decreased appetite. They haven't moved in hours when actually they've been carrying out completely normal behaviors. And that's, you've just hit them maybe four times on the same day where they happen to be resting. Yeah, I, I thought that was, that's a very good point. And then I also like that they included normal, healthy horses in this research as well. And they pulled them from research studies and breeding programs, and then they could compare it with the hospitalized horses that were um, in there because of various conditions. And then they pulled in the orthopedic patients. And I think it was 60 orthopedic patients that were there for emergencies or there for specific surgeries. So with 35 years of accumulated information, this is a pretty in-depth study. And with the horses that were showing signs of discomfort, they were able to pinpoint that it is a discomfort behavior and not just a stereotypical behavior when they administered pain relief and the behavior ceased. 
So that was one way that they kind of determined, okay, it's not just the horse has picked up this habit because some of the behaviors, for example, is um, head bobbing or they called it abbreviated weaving. So we know weaving is like a stereotypical behavior where the horse um, is kind of swaying from side to side, whereas they just did a shorter an abbreviated, as it says, um, version where they're just kind of moving their head back and forth. And this was a clear sign that it was a discomfort. But the videos are brilliant because for some of them, like, so for each one, they have a drawing to make it a visual without having to watch the video. But one of them is camping under, and that's where the back legs are in more under the abdomen. And when you look at the drawing, you can see like, you kind of to me I struggled to see how a horse would really balance when they have their back legs tucked more under their abdomen than they should be and then you look at the video of the horse and you're like wow if I wasn't used to seeing horses every day I would totally miss that because it does just look subtle when they're doing it but once you've realized it you're like wow their their feet are quite pulled in or the horse that has one foreleg stretched out. It's a pointing mm-hmm. behavior. Um, you could easily miss that too and just think that's the stance when it's eating. But then you see, because it's a clip of a video, that when the horse repositions and moves, it again stretches that leg. So then you can tell, okay, well, that's actually abnormal what they're doing. Yeah, and we use pointing a lot on the racetrack because it's so easy to walk up and down a shed row And especially when you have hay bags hung towards the outside front of the stalls, they camp out there and eat their hay. And you look at the front legs as you go by. And even one that might be slightly pointed 45 degrees versus straight on, you give extra attention to feeling for heat in that ankle, that hoof, that knee, because if they don't didn't normally do that, you want to pay specific attention as to why has that changed. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't realize you used that. Yeah, that was one of the first lessons um, I learned on the track is walk up and down while they're busy because that's a routine. They first go to the racetrack and get on, get their bath and get walked. And then they go back into the stall and their hay bag is hung. And then you watch and you see what their behavior is. And uh, usually they're to the front of the stall eating their hay and you want to look at those feet and make sure in back feet as well. If they're holding one up, you want to come back a few moments later and make sure they've either shifted or, you know, it's changed. And you, but the pointing of the front is so important because then you pay specific attention to that leg the next morning, um, that afternoon, even before you're doing their leg work, you double check it. And then the next day you, you double check if you could find nothing. So it's a very important, um, kind of analysis you do when a horse gets put back into their stall. And that's how applicable this kind of ethogram is that it can be used on the racetrack. It can be used in everyday husbandry. It can be used in hospitalized horses. 
this is definitely something that I'm going to share with my students going forward. Yeah. And the I, I overall premise is that it's going to advance welfare of horses because we can improve that recognition of physical discomfort. Yeah. And a lot of times like the head bobbing, I have uh, my 25 year old mare. She has done this from the time she was a two year old racehorse is when it's feeding times, she time she is at the front of her stall and her head is out and she's like saying yes, you know, head bobbing. And so I know that's normal for her. That's kind of her thoroughbred impatience waiting to be fed. Yeah. And then, um, you know, once you feed, she does not continue that it's over. So you learn what is normal. And then what you're looking for is something that is slightly abnormal. If she might be doing that and mouthing, maybe at the same time, I might think something is wrong. But the fact that the head bobbing occurs, and then I have another thoroughbred that's a weaver that I've talked about before on the show. And before I groom, Every evening, he starts weaving. Once I groom, the weaving stops and he takes a nap before feed time. So that's normal behavior. If he was weaving and it wasn't, um, I kind of call it symmetrical. It's like a rhythm. If, If they're weaving and it's not rhythmic, it's something different, you know, because he's got a rhythm when he does it. And uh, I have another one every morning puts his front legs out and stretches his back before I put the grain in his tub. He's done that since he was a yearling. So you learn certain behaviors. And what this is so good for is that, you know, you don't use it somewhat as diagnostic, but it's just additional information. You write it down or put it in your head or journal it that this is typical for this horse. And sometimes if a horse has a demeanor that isn't quite right, the first thing I do is take a temperature. And, you know, you that's kind of how you use this to help you assess if something is wrong. I actually think as well, something that only takes a couple of minutes, but is very useful going forward is making little charts for your horses. I remember I seen this. So obviously we do this in the hospital setting, but the first time I kind of seen this in um, a setting other than a hospital was I went to a kennels that minded dogs and they would write on the chart um, everything about the dog and they would write likes to walk with so-and-so doesn't enjoy this (laughs) so that anyone who came in would know what to do and I think that's useful from a point of view too that you know if for some reason you were unwell or you couldn't get out to your horses you have a little chart and it's like well don't do this with Greta or you'll (laughs) you'll soon learn (laughs) but you could put in what's normal for their behaviors too and It would just be so useful then to be able to look back and see what is normal. Because like that, I remember, you know, being in um, the riding school growing up, every time we got the feed ready, there were a handful of horses in the yards that always stomped repeatedly until you brought the feed bucket. And there were two in particular that you actually had to stand with them or they would flip the bucket while they were eating it. 
And it's not a discomfort. It is a, you know, it's written down that it can be a discomfort behavior, but it wasn't in these horses. It was pure impatience. They're having to wait. Yeah. And you know what? That's um, when we went to Scotland, my farm sitter, I, I jokingly handed her and I told her it was a hundred page manual on each horse. But it was just, <laughs> you know, don't be concerned if you see this. And it was more like that. And then, so she would have a guide of what's normal behavior for each one. So she wouldn't be concerned and, and call my vet at the drop of a hat, even though I told her, if you really feel that something's wrong, call him as much as you want to. But this is what's normal behavior for these horses. And this is their routine. And it took me a little bit to put all that together. But you know what she said, it made it so easy. And that actually reminds me of a part that was in this paper about individuality when it comes to pain as well. And they essentially more or less saw that, um, they were linking it to personality type, but to me that kind of stood out as, you know, individual horses have different pain thresholds when they're in practice too. Now that needs more investigation, but it's like humans, you know, we all have different pain thresholds and some people can tolerate some things better than others. I have to say after six years in Scotland, I cannot tolerate the cold anymore. <laughs> and I used to love the cold, but now like today it wasn't even particularly cold here. And I had to have gloves on to take the dogs out because I just, I can't. I spent too long with my hands frozen over there. I just can't. Put <laughs> Pretty good. Well, you know what? That is so true. It's even with people in pain tolerance, I think horse people, they never call the doctor. They get the vet wrap and the horse yeah. and they take care of themselves because they have a high pain threshold. And I think yeah. that, you know, we take better care of our horses than we do ourselves. But I saw something like that on one of the social media sites. They had all these different colors of vet wrap and they said what horse people do instead of calling a doctor. And it had the vet wrap and the liniment and the horse medications for themselves. <laughs> So anyway, but this was a great study. Um, I would highly recommend watching the videos. I watched the videos and I was amazed at the quitting that the one mare did that she couldn't chew the hay. I didn't realize how large those boluses were yeah. that could fall out of their mouth. I, I had a whole different idea for what quitting was. And it was a much smaller amount of hay coming out of the mouth, but this was huge. So um, the videos were very educating and I'd highly recommend it. What I'm going to do is put a link to this study. It's a free access study. Uh, you can access the paper, read it, and then they have each of the ethograms um, in categories, and there are eight categories. You hit on the category you're interested in, and the videos are attached right there, and um, they're really um, a good experience, and just the look through so you know what they're talking about. 
And it's not 24 hours of video, don't worry. They're yeah, short and sweet little segments. <laughs> yeah, but what is it, Kate? You think maybe 30-second videos? Yeah, I think yeah. one of them I watched was a minute long because there was two different yeah. horse examples in it. So they're, I mean, you fly through them, but they are, they're nice and quick and snappy. And I mean, that's how we seem to be moving towards wanting our information now, you know, in short segments. Yeah, Um. This is so good for the observation of actually seeing the behavior. So you kind of know what they're talking about. And then it's so accessible. So I think it's a wonderful study and very useful for whether you've been in horses for 20 years or whether you're just getting into them. It's educational for everyone. Definitely. The last point I just meant to make on this paper is you will have heard Nancy and I discuss the horse grimace scale in the past and using that to assess if your horse is in pain. So the, the difference kind of between the horse grimace scale and what they've done in this study is that the horse grimace scale is a series of, I believe, nine photos. I can't remember exactly how many, um, specifically of the horse's face and facial expressions. And it is an incredibly useful tool to determine discomfort and pain. But this is a comprehensive ethogram, so behavioral study on um, discomfort in the horse. And it's looking at the whole body. So this, to the author's knowledge in their background research, has not been done before. And certainly 35 years of this expertise being brought into one paper is just incredible. So it's a brilliant resource. It's even better that it's open access. Anyone can read this. It's not, you know, you don't have to pay to access this paper. So I highly recommend you click into it and have a look at those videos. Yep. And thanks again, Kate, for recommending this paper. It was easy to read and uh, really accessible for everyone to understand it and to learn from it. And we'll be back again next week. We had our little break last week. <laughs> um, Nancy and I don't know what to do with ourselves <laughs> when we were about to record this evening. <laughs> it feels so bizarre after a year of recording solids every week. But it's nice to be back. And if you do have any areas you're interested in that you'd like us to research, you can get us on Facebook in Conversations in Equine Science and on Instagram, and that's conversations.equinescience. Sounds great. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate your help. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Bye-bye.